Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Run Out Radio. I'm Jerry Forsyth, along with Mike Howerton, and we're here to bring you up to date on the latest goings-on in the billiard industry, and uh, we're going to be talking to a guest as well. Uh, Mike, it's been a while. We've got quite a bit of news to cover. Yeah, seems like uh, one of us is on the road at all times, but uh, that should be coming to an end here pretty quick. Indeed, but uh, the first event we need to mention, of course, is the U.S. Open uh, that went off, and uh, the man who's been winning everything lately, Mika Eminen, took that one by uh, beating Ralph Suquet in the finals. Yeah, it didn't look like Mika was going to get there. He lost his second match of the tournament to Chris Bartram, and I thought, you know, as strong as Mika's playing, not even he could come back through that rogues gallery on the one loss side to win the tournament but um it's interesting he just he always seems to have a gear that's a little bit higher than the gear he's got on display yeah he does and uh of course he beat as we said he beat ralph Suquet in the finals uh after winning what 14 straight matches on the one loss side i thought ralph's comment that he made was rather interesting. He promised that he would be back and that he would win the U.S. Open again. And and Ralph is always a class act. Um, I mean, he could have he could have easily sulked and disappeared. He he said enough to make sure that he was being polite and he was being respectful, and then he handed it over to Mika, which. I mean, you can never complain about uh, what kind of a gentleman Ralph is. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, talking about the U.S. Open, the guy who's got to be kicking himself is Donnie Mills. I mean, his break was working for him the entire tournament, and, and, you know, they were breaking from the box to try to control the players from just stringing racks, and, and Donnie was another one. Boy, when he started to get down in a match he would bring another gear and was breaking and running racks at will. And he changed his break right there at the end. He, he broke both times at Hill Hill against Mika and against Ralph and lost both of those matches. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. Oh, we got to send another shout out, shout out, shout out to Kim Davenport who proved that old guys can play pool. Yeah. He had a great tournament. Yeah. He even beat his partner, business partner, and Hall of Fame inductee, Johnny Archer, which had to be a bit of an odd feeling. I would assume that since they were, uh, since they're business partners, they probably traveled together and stayed together. That must have been an awfully quiet room that night. (laughs) Yeah, it might have been. Anyway, after the U.S. Open, you went down to Florida. I did. I went down to Florida for the ladies' event, and I also peeked in over at the men's event just a little bit. Um, it was the end of the WPBA season, and, and I only catched the first three days of those events. I, I flew back early, so I did not get to catch the end with uh, with Jasmine winning, but Jasmine has come on strong here at the end of the year. She's making uh, a definite run on player of the year on the ladies' side. I, you and I are probably going to have to work that out before the next show, but personally, I think it's either Jasmine or Guy Young that's a uh, player of the year on the women's side, and there's really no question who the player of the year is on the men's side. Yeah, that would be Mika. However, in Florida, another fellow showed his strength. Johnny Archer won that event, who 
has really come on strong, winning two of, uh, well, the last two pro events. He won the Seminole event, and then he moved up the coast a little bit, and he took down Corey Jewell's uh, 10-ball invitational event. So, uh, you know, kudos to Johnny. He has proven his uh, worth in the Hall of Fame by winning two consecutive pro events. That's hard to do. Yeah, he's having a he's having a, a great year. Um, I, you know, there's some events that he's always a favorite to win, but uh, I certainly wasn't expecting back-to-back wins there in Florida. He, uh, I mean, I'm hesitant to say that this Hall of Fame induction has has put a new spark into his game because his game was never missing anything. It's just, you know, he's been around the game for so long, and there's so many great players that are coming onto the game from Europe and and the great players coming over from the Philippines. It just amazes me that that Johnny is out there in front so often. Yeah, obviously, very deserving of the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Anyway, after uh, Florida, uh, you went home for a few days while I headed to China, and then you joined me in the Philippines. But in China, it was the Women's World Nine Ball Championship. And um, this was a bit of a surprise to me because a, a lady I had never heard of, and she's brand new on the scene, uh, Lou Shasha, won the Women's World Nine Ball Championship at the age of 16. And, of course, since the Chinese give their baby one year the day they're born, that means that she, in our age um, terminology, is only 15 years old. So, um, and been strong. I mean, but what really impressed me, Mike, was there were so many players, so many Chinese players who were so strong. I went and watched the qualifying rounds, and there were players in those qualifying rounds, and Lu Shasha was one of them, who could give any WPBA player a good run for the money. Well, I mean, let's consider that she beat Shouting Pan to get into the finals and then beat Karen Core, and you said that, that Karen was way up in that match and that Lou just took it from there. Uh, Karen was up 5-1 to one and uh, never scored another rack as uh, Lou just ran away and won, uh, I believe it was eight straight games. That's it's amazing. Well, and and it goes back to them teaching it at the school level over there. Uh, yeah, and I asked about coaching as well because you know we know a lot of the uh, like the, the Taiwanese players get coaches and the Nordic players get coaches, and so I went to see what the Chinese did for coaches, and I was told that they don't have formal coaches, but that uh, billiard room owners who notice a young talent will take them under their wing and coach them themselves and give them free table time and uh, give them drills and uh, uh, make the contacts for them to get them into tournaments and stuff. So not a formal coaching system as we see in other places, but a coaching system nonetheless, and a system where players are brought up with drills, uh, not with just throwing nine balls out on the table and knocking them in the hole. Well, and I also imagine that it's different than the American mentality in, in America. When when you find uh, a youngster who plays the game real well, you immediately start thinking about taking him on the road and how much money you can make. Yeah, exactly. No, these, these kids have to finish their education. 
So we had talked about the the women's nine ball championship, and you had you had mentioned to me when we were in Manila the the level of play that was on display from the Chinese players. Uh, definitely a bright future in the women's game. You think uh, coming from China? Yeah, well, really coming from all of Asia, but uh, China and uh, Taiwan in particular. Uh, the women's game is featured. It's all they want on TV. They're not interested in having male pool players on TV. And so the sponsors are going to be um, naturally attracted to that side of the game. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's a big future for it. There's obviously a sponsorship available for it. Uh, there's promoters who are eager to run the tournaments. Um, I think you're going to see a... Um, a continued popularity of the game in that part of the world for the women. Speaking of sponsors, you mentioned that the Women's Nine Ball Championship was sponsored outside the billiards industry. Yes, it was sponsored by a clothing company, Kappa Sportswear, um, which, oddly enough, I'm told, is an Italian company. Uh, But uh, they came in and put up the prize money. Uh, The prize money originally, when this whole event was um, being conceived, a uh, very influential uh, businesswoman uh, came forward and said, uh, I will guarantee the entire prize fund. Now go out and sell it so that I don't have to put out any money. And they did. But the whole thing was guaranteed from day one. If they hadn't been able to sell it, um, the prize fund was already established. Well, but it's good that they were able to find that sponsorship because you're not going to find – Financers like that for a long-term event. Um, it's a shame that we haven't been able to see much of the uh, the video footage from over there. It's a shame that we don't get video coverage of those events over there. But um, from what you described, it sounds like we really missed a great tournament. I was very impressed with it. Uh, not only the level of play, but the organization of the tournament. They had uh, plenty of staff. Everyone had a single job to do. Everyone got those jobs done. There were more than 40 uniformed volunteers ready to take on any task. All you had to do was lift your hand and wave, and they'd come over and you'd ask what you wanted. You give them the task, like go get the score from table six, and boom, they were gone. Very impressive organization. And then, of course, I got to go straight from China <laughs> to meet up with you in Manila. That was a. It's always interesting to go to Manila. Um, you know, they they've made. I've heard the comment from multiple people over there that, uh, you know, it's it's one of the few countries that you can walk around with a pool case on your back and it means something. Um, everybody immediately recognizes that you're a pool player. I mean, the taxi cab drivers when we told them where we were going, they said, "Oh yes, billiard," and it, it's. It's such a huge part of their life over there. It's just an amazing change from what we see over here. Yeah, and it's it's such a large part of the life over there that politics got involved in it for a few years and nearly ruined the game. But this year, um, most of the managers have decided that uh, the war they were fighting with Raya Sports had no winner because the managers have players who need events, and the events need players. And um, the managers weren't putting on events, so they they needed Raya's resources for their 
their players to compete and win money in. So um, all but Puyat came back on board, um, and their players were represented in the event. We had Okuyo, and we had Alcano, and we had Warren Kiamco. I mean, we had we had the names. The the only names that were missing were the two Puyat names, which of course are Bustamante and Reyes and Pagula. Um, well, you know, I mentioned that, and and I was asked, when did you last hear of Alex Pagulayan playing any pool anywhere? He doesn't play anymore, which is something I'd like to check it. I'm told he doesn't, he won't pick up a cue stick anymore. That he only wants to play poker. Well, there's a lot more money in it, but uh, it, I find it hard to believe that you could play the game and enjoy it that much. Because, I mean, there's some guys out there now who play, and you. You can just see that they don't enjoy it. But Alex always looked like he was having a good time out there. Yeah, he seemed like he did, but he's part of the Puyak stable. So uh, if he is trying to play, you won't see him active for a while. But I, I do would like to congratulate Perry Mariano and Jonathan uh, Sai on their decision to bring their players back into the world of competitive billiards. Well, and, and Perry described it best when he made the comment in the press conference that this is about the players and it's about the game. It's not about the politics. And that was, yeah. that was so refreshing to hear that coming out of the Philippines, considering the, what we've been hearing coming out of there for the past two or three years. And I mean, we're not going to try to say that all the politics are behind us and that, you know, everyone has, has buried the hatchet out there, but this was a huge step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And then there was the tournament itself. One, <laughs> of course, by, Meek Eminent. Of course. Uh, we we do have to give a shout-out, however, to David Alcady, who took third in this event. He's been playing so well this fall. He won the Predator event in Portugal earlier, playing some of the best pool I've ever seen when he beat Marcus Chamat in the finals. And uh, to Levan Corteza, who came in just a little short and uh, came up in second place, uh, losing to a very, very strong Mika Eminent. Definitely. Uh, Van Corteza also had a real good U.S. Open. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I think it was a fourth-place finish. Um, if you look at the Filipino players, I mean, for of course, Efren and Bustamante were, were tops there for a time. Uh, and then it seemed like Alcano was the best player out of the Philippines. But, I mean, they would certainly argue this with me because they – the the fans over there know those players better than we do, but from this standpoint, looking at it from over here, it would appear as if Corteza may be the best player in the Philippines right now. Well, he's certainly the feared money player of the day. Speaking of, of money players, I mean, of course, there was action going on over there, and, and neither one of us had the time or the inclination to try to go out and sweat those matches, but I did hear from a top player on the U.S. points list saying that he was over there and got weight from Roberto Gomez and broke even. That gives you some idea what the level of play is like over there. Now keep in mind, with the environment over there and the humidity in the air and and the Filipino players being used to the slow tables and that sort of thing, that in itself might have made up for that spot that was given, but uh, the idea of hearing one of our top players going over there and playing and getting weight and not winning just blows me away. Well, I know of three top players who had to borrow money uh, (laughs) to get out of Manila. 
uh, why they continue to go and gamble in those conditions that are so foreign to foreigners and so familiar to the Filipinos, I don't know. But you, you really don't hear many tales of Westerners walking into the one-side pool room and walking out a winner. Uh, now, speaking of pool rooms, we did get a chance to get away one night, and we got over to Star Billiards. Boy, that is an amazing room. Yeah, especially if you like your pool rooms equipped with tigers. <laughs> yep, they had the six-month-old Siberian tiger uh, mascot of the room, uh, appropriately named Tiger. I wonder if they're going to change his name now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was uh, awesome. So he can keep his reputation up. Um, yeah, that tiger was really something. Uh, rolling around on the floor playing with a tiger is an interesting way to spend the evening. And um, the Star Billiards itself, what a fantastic place. What is it, 42 tables? Um, all free table time to the top players, free Internet, um, uh, a very handy cafe right out the front door. Uh, that gives super low prices to the pool players, uh, where you can get a full meal for less than a dollar. Um, well, yeah, just uh, Sebastian uh, Chua um, runs that, uh, Star Billiards, and uh, provides a great uh, opportunity for pool players in the Philippines to progress. Yeah, it, I mean, you, you would like to make a comment that it's a shame we don't have things like that here in the States, but there's no way it can stay open. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a, that is a definitely a sponsored pool room. Well, um, we made it back from Manila and got a small break, uh, very small, and then we were both off to Vegas, but you got to watch a lot more of what happened out there than I did. Um, you know, before we get into the conversation about the Moscone Cup and how that whole thing went down, how about Dennis Hatch coming out of nowhere and winning the Moscone Idol vote that I was positive Rodney was going to win? Uh, so was I. I didn't think anyone else had a chance against Rodney because Rodney has been such a popular player with the fans. Uh, but lo and behold, in the last what, two or three days, Dennis Hatch overtook him. And the American team is... Well, they, they can't be disappointed in that result <laughs> after what Dennis Hatch gave them in Las Vegas. And uh, let's face it, going in, everybody picked Europe to win this thing. I did. Because, oh, yeah. I'm just, look, so did I. Uh, I couldn't disagree totally with the bookies. I thought their odds of two to one were too great. Uh, but uh, every European player holds at least one world championship and we had one player on our team who has a world championship um so on paper they should have won but the americans came out energetic day one energetic enthusiastic and driven and alex laley i think said it best when he said that the europeans came out flat well, I could see that. Um, I I kept going back to two years ago when Europe took the title from us, and it was such a, a shock because that was the year that America basically felt they had their dream team out there, 
and that, right. you know, people were looking at it saying, how on earth can this European team possibly even consider beating this American juggernaut? And it seemed like the roles were reversed this time. Um, you know, no one thought Europe could lose, well, except for the five guys out there playing for the U.S. Um, and this time it, it appeared to be the Americans who were together and who were cheering each other on and were always there, always supporting each other. Um, you know, Nick was the captain, but boy, Johnny was about as close as you could be to a captain from what I saw. And so was Dennis. Yeah, well, I mean, rallying the players, uh, propping up their egos when they needed it. Um, I mean, let's face it, being a pool player, you got to have a real delicate ego to begin with. And, you know, getting out there, having more than, than what you're used to of yourself and your family uh, counting on you to make that ball, but knowing that it's your entire country... I don't know how the players can can deal with that sort of pressure, but um, you know, even after day one with a four to one lead, we've had a four to one lead before, and we've we've lost it on day two. But they kept the pressure up, and 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 the U.S. team just kept playing like a team, and and I didn't see it from the Europeans. I mean, you were watching it a lot more than I w was. It, was it just me, or did that seem to be the case? Uh, that was the case, and, and like you said, we've been up four to one before in 2007, and the next day, Team Europe came back and beat us four to one. Uh, before the second day, I spoke to one of the European players, whose name I'm not going to mention, and he he reminded me that they had come back from a four-one deficit to win and turn the tables the very next day and said they were going to do the same thing um, this time, and there was absolutely no conviction in his eyes. Wow. Well, I know uh, I know. after two days of play, the Americans, I mean, they had to know this was their event to lose. Um, what, they had a 7-2 seven two, seven two lead after two days? Right. That's, that's an awful steep hill to climb. Yeah, it really is. Although the philosophy that Laley had, Captain Laley of the European team, Alex Laley of the European team had on the final day was that America was only two wins away from winning, which meant that Europe was two defeats away from being put out of the tournament. And he told his team that that's just like a double elimination tournament. We're in a double elimination tournament. We have to avoid two losses. If we can avoid two losses and keep winning, we'll win the tournament. Well, still, you know, that's a great thought. <laughs> but like you say, that was a big hill to climb, and it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I mean, with going into the final day, knowing that both Dennis and Johnny were going to be playing that day, yeah, I certainly expected that those two would win their matches and that it would be done. Um I was off by one match. I was a little shocked because I was driving back from Vegas when the final day was going on. Shane played Ralph the first match of the day, and then he played him again the fourth match of the day? Yes, because remember, when they delayed day two, they put all the matches back a day. So actually, that first match between Shane and Ralph on day four was the final match from day three. So then you just have to look at the rest of the matches as being the actual day four, and that would have been the third match, 
purely by accident because they were picked that morning. Um, that would have been the third match of the final day. Uh, and they didn't have to match up against one another. The captains could have picked someone else to go into that time slot. But as it happened, they did pick those guys, and there was nothing in the rules that would prevent them from playing each other on two separate days, which is, in effect, what they did. So Shane comes through. He wins that last match. Now, I read some of the comments that he made, I believe, prior to that match. He said that he had lost to Ralph earlier in the day and that that particular loss had stuck with him, and he made the proclamation that he decided prior to going to that match that he was never going to lose to Ralph again. Right. And, he, you know, he beat him at uh, Turning Stone this year. He beat Ralph. And he beat Ralph at another event. I want to say it was the U.S. Open, but I'm not. I'm not certain. Um, he didn't feel like Ralph had any sense or any real chance of beating him to begin with. And when he, when Ralph not only beat him but beat him badly, uh, Shane kind of got up in the air about it. Not outside himself, but inside himself. I mean, Shane doesn't go off on people. Right. I was just. I mean. <laughs> Ralph Souquet is, is a candidate for player of the decade, and as much as the rest of the media disagreed with us, we felt he was the player of the year last year. Right. How strong have you got to be feeling just to get up and say, not only am I going to win this match, but I'm never going to lose to this player again? Yeah, I know. I know. Well, we don't know how much money he put on that. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Shane pulled it, pulled through, and, and prior to that, Dennis Hatch uh, basically had his way with Nils, uh, 6-0 in a in a uh, alternating break match. That's pretty amazing. But but Dennis Dennis brought a different game to this event. I won't say a different game than we've seen from him because we've seen his top game, and and it's awfully strong. Um, I'll just say that he performed better under pressure than I, I expected him to by far. You know, he turned that pressure into something else. Instead of oppressing him, it uplifted him. He was enjoying the moment. And where the pressure was pushing other people down and making their arm clumsy, it lifted Dennis up and inspired him. And uh, I haven't play, seen him play that well before. And, and well, good on you, Dennis. And uh, speaking of Dennis, we just happened to have him on the phone line. Why don't we uh, spend a few minutes with him? I'm looking forward to it. So, Dennis, how are you this week? I am unbelievable. I've had a smile on my face since I left Vegas. Since Not since I left Vegas, since before uh, I left Vegas. Since the Moscone Cup ended, I've had a smile on my face. I've teared up a few times, and uh, I'm in awe. Well, you know, it's it's just an amazing week. You guys went in as two-to-one underdogs. Uh, you uh, were highly underrated by the bookmakers, uh, which resulted in those odds, and yet you wound up being the most valuable player. And I have to say you're the first rookie I can remember ever getting Most Valuable Player Award. Um, what kind of thrill was that? That's what made it so much better. You know, obviously I want to win for my team and uh, everybody. But uh, even Johnny said, he's like, the, he goes, he, I think he said the same thing to me, as a matter of fact, that uh, I'm the first rookie that's ever gotten the MVP award. He goes, you deserve it. 
He goes, you really deserve it. He goes, so enjoy it. And, uh, you know, it just makes the whole, uh, just being a part of the team, win or lose, was going to be special to me. You know, playing for my country, playing with Johnny and my friends, and, uh, you know, just to win the award, the MVP award, as a matter of fact, it's sitting right in front of me right now on my television already, and I've only been home for about 30 minutes. So it's out of the box already, and I'm on top of my TV. <laughs> That's the only thing I unpack. Dennis, you know, when they when they announced the names of the players who were part of that whole pick'em contest, um, you know, there's there's Rodney, there's Stevie, there's Davenport. I mean, there were a lot of names that that fans all across the world were familiar with. Uh, you weren't as familiar a player to some of the fans. Were you surprised by by winning the pick'em contest? Uh, I thought, you know, at first, no, I thought I had a chance. And then uh, after day one or day two, whatever it was, when they showed, you know, a little preview of who was leading, I said, uh, well, it doesn't look like I'm going to be picked. You know, I was uh, more than 50% behind. I think Rodney had 27 and change, and I had 13-something. So uh, my hopes were uh, – my hopes had uh, been smashed at that point in time. I was like, well, you know, it was exciting to watch for the first two days, but now it looks like it's going to be Rodney or Charlie. And I figured with the old, you know, mass emails they were sending out and uh, – you know, they both uh, are sponsored, I don't know if they're sponsored by Predator or work for Predator, and they have, you know, Charlie's got his own tour. So I figured I was the underdog to be picked to begin with. But, uh, you know, after I found out that I was the one to be chosen, uh, it was just, I was, you know, it was, I was almost as amazed as I am now by winning. Well, I have to think that going in, um, how well you played against Darren on that uh, challenge match that you guys did, that had to have, have helped you quite a bit. Uh, it did help me, actually, a lot. I haven't been, you know, I haven't really been out there a whole lot uh, lately. You know, I don't have a sponsor, and I have to get staked in tournaments, and it's really tough to go out there and, and play for five, seven, eight days and, uh, you know, give up all these back and then 50%. So, you know, it's a, uh, you know, it's sad for me because I love the game. I play it, and I wish I could play in every event. So, you know, when I went out and played Darren, I really didn't play a whole lot before I got out there. I just practiced for, like, 30 days here in Buffalo. And uh, then went and played. And I, I, to be honest with you, I don't feel that I played that good except for the last day. And I still beat him by 20 games. So I knew I still had it. I just had to get back out there, you know. Well, this format, the Moscone Cup, I'm sure you've never been involved in anything really like it before where you play both doubles and singles against the same opponents. And I'm curious, which format did you like better? Did you prefer being out there by yourself or did you like uh, the doubles better where you had a teammate to lean on? You know, it was, uh, I don't know. They were both, it just, you know, it really did help. And, uh, you know, Johnny and Corbin and Oscar, everybody, you know, they're all friends and special no matter what. But to be honest with you, the, you know, uh, the singles was more of a, uh, you know, on your own, everything's on your back. You've got to play and you've got to win. And the doubles, it was more or less, you had to play for each other, you know. Um, right. But uh, I, I think I had more fun. Uh, playing the doubles matches, believe it or not. Did you wind up with a, a partner that became a favorite doubles partner, someone you really clicked with? Uh, me and Johnny. Me and Johnny and me and Oscar both clicked real good. Uh, me and Johnny, you know, we've known each other for 20 years. We weren't even asking each other where we wanted to play position for each other, unless it came down to, you know, a funny spot. We just we started out, I think, 5-1, five, 5-2, five, and we were just flowing. Because, you know, me and Johnny talked in the, in the practice room. I said, Johnny, listen. You know, I, I like to play and shoot fast and, you know, not talk a lot. So wherever you want to get me, just get me, and I'll shoot from there. I said, you know, and if you 
want to ask me where you want to get, that's fine. I said, but I'd rather just me shoot like I shoot, play position how I want to play, and you play position how you want to play, and we'll just try that out the first game and see how we like it. This way we don't have to ask questions, and we don't have to stop our play. He goes, that sounds good. I like that. And uh, from that point on, it was just, you know, I mean, I, it was good. And then me and Oscar, I mean, that was great. We beat uh, Mika and Niels. You couldn't even ask for, you know, a bigger upset than that. The two new guys beat the two, uh, you know, champions. That was just incredible. You know, we've talked before about the kind of pressure that the players are under in Moscone Cup. I mean, you're, you go from pool being a, a, a solitary sport where it's really just you and your family that are on your shoulders when you're in a tournament and, and you go into an event like this where your entire country is on your shoulders here. How did you go from playing under that kind of pressure to really you were the, the inspiration and the heart of this team? I mean, as a rookie. You know what? I just, uh, I, I don't know. I, I heard so many, you know, and I'm not trying to point fingers here just to, to get that out there, but I heard so many bad stories about Earl and how he was so negative and, and all that stuff. And I, I'm really not a negative person. I'm outgoing, boisterous, as you can see. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I thrive on stuff like that, you know, um, like maybe a little intimidation because I was a little intimidated by them guys, all world champions, and they've been there, you know, three of them have been there before and, uh, you know, I just, uh, I thrive on it. I love playing in front of fans. I love the camera. I love big environments, big, big, uh, you know, the big stage. I just, uh, I don't know. I always have been since I was a little kid. Uh, loved the more people, the better I play. So to me, it was more natural than anything. I just, uh, I just thrived and enjoyed it. You know, as a pool player, I'm sure that you have to go into every match, no matter who you play against, thinking that you're going to win that match. You have to go into every tournament telling yourself you're the best player in the tournament. But, I mean, deep down inside, did you, did you learn something or, or did you bring something out that maybe you didn't even know you had in this in this event? Uh, yeah, I did, actually. I didn't know that I could uh, rile people up like You know, I, when I my intentions were to come there to rile my team up, you know, and make them think, you know, listen, Every day I told them we're two to one underdogs. You know, if you guys go out there every day, just give that, let that be your motivation. When we go out there, we're not supposed to win. I said that right there should put something under your, you know, put a little fire under your butt and get you going. But uh, once I got out there in the crowd and I saw that I could take advantage and get them on our side because their crowd was so little, um, I, I just took advantage of it. And it just, uh, I think that the crowd really, really helped us in the momentum, you know, uh, I just I thrived on the whole environment, the whole situation, everything. I think uh, the crowd made a huge, huge impact for us. Well, I think the crowd fed off of your energy, and then the team fed off of the crowd's energy, and it really just kind of started snowballing there around day two. It really did, yeah. And um, I, I just figured, you know, because my team, that you know, they were uh, not as um, outgoing as me, I should say. <laughs> they're, they're they're more quiet than I am, so I figured. Then instead of, you know, screaming at them, which I did a little bit, come on, guys, little screaming and yelling, we're all laughing and stuff, having fun, trying to be fun about it. But I figured once I got upstairs that I could make that room ours, you know, all by myself. And I went, the first day I went out there and I, and I got that crowd going, I felt the energy that I could get that crowd going and that I could stir up in that building, and I knew that that was going to be an edge of ours. Whether I was playing or not, I knew I could stir them up, and that was going to be a, a big factor in the Moscone Cup this year. 
Well, I mean, you mentioned the word fun, and, th and that's really something that you could see as a difference between the two teams. It didn't look like anybody on that European team was having fun, but you guys, as a team, came together and looked like you were truly enjoying yourselves. Oh, we had a ball from day one. The day we got there, we got picked up on uh, Rolls Royce, got taken to a mansion. We all hit balls that day. We were a laugh from day one. From the day I got there, we did nothing but laugh. In the practice room, we were laughing, having fun, jumping up and down. I was doing jumping jacks and just trying to make it, uh, you know, not so serious, even though it is, you know, obviously very, very serious, but uh, just to make it uh, less stressful and more fun and uh, just to uh, enjoy the enjoy the moment and not be so worried about winning or losing, you know. We did everything together as a team, you know, and we all talked every day, every night, watched each other's matches unless one of us was playing, and uh, basically just stuck together as a team. Like, we bonded. I mean, I, I you know, we were, you know, a few of us were telling each other, you know, I love you, man. <laughs> I'm curious, Dennis. This year you got in by popular fan vote. Are you going to have to go that route next year, or are you going to squirrel away enough Moscone Cup innings to stake, uh, winnings to stake yourself uh, – at the ranking events, two of them were in your backyard there at Turning Stone. Another one's not that far away, the U.S. Open. The only one of any real expense would be uh, the uh, U.S. Open uh, 10 ball in Las Vegas. Uh, are you right. going to try and make these ranking events? I am now, yeah. I'm going to try and make them all because now that um, you know, I've, I'm, I'm out there again and people all over the world, not just the country, had a chance to see the, you know, how good I really play. You know, I want to, now that I'm out there again and I got some money behind me, I just want to keep playing and playing all these tournaments and try and win as many as I can and stay up in the top five rankings because I know I can. You know, I don't even really play in that many tournaments. And like three months ago, I was ranked like third, fourth or fifth in the world. And right now I'm like 14th. So, I mean, it really, you know, uh, all it was was just basically money for me to get out there and play. So now that I do have a little bit, you know, maybe I can play in some more tournaments and uh, do some more with myself. Well, that would certainly be great. I mean, we uh, we thought you were going to be a fixture on the tournament scene in the late 90s when you came in second in the Camel Tour, and then you sort of disappeared for a while and just showed up periodically. Uh, we'd like to have you back. I'm back. Believe me, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be around for a while, and I, I hope that uh, people are going to be glad to see me. That's all I can say. <laughs> I think they will be. All right. Um, Dennis, we certainly enjoyed talking to you, man. Uh, look forward to being with you at Turning Stone and uh, look forward to many more great moments in your career. All right, guys, you have a good night and thanks for the interview. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Okay, thanks a lot. Well, that's the sound of a happy man. I mean, what a week at the Moscone Cup he just had. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely a fairy tale story. I mean, I know. I know that he had to think that, that he was capable of that, but i got to tell you, there, there's got to be a lot of people who are really surprised by that performance. Um, if, if in any way, you know, there, there was conjecture there for a while that maybe the European fans would want to would wanna vote to put somebody on the team that would not be able to play as well against the European players, uh, if that happened, it certainly backfired. It certainly did. Well, that's the show for tonight. We'd like to thank you for listening. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Predator Cues and uh, Tiger Products, and, of course, OBQs, and uh, a new sponsor for us, uh, Lucasi Hybrid. 
I would like to thank all of them. Uh, we'll be back with Run Out Radio just as soon as we have something else to talk about. Until then, y'all hit them good. Bye-bye.